Hello and welcome to a completely new series of the Zero to Finals podcast, where we're going to be going through the updated content and guidelines to cover the whole of medicine. And we're going to start with a series on cardiology. My name is Tom, and in this first episode, I'm going to be talking to you about cardiovascular disease. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash cvd or in the cardiology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Let's start by talking about atherosclerosis. Athero refers to soft or porridge-like and sclerosis refers to hardening. Atherosclerosis is a combination of atheromas, which are fatty deposits in the artery wall, and sclerosis, which is hardening or stiffening of the blood vessel walls. Atherosclerosis affects the medium and large arteries, and it's caused by chronic inflammation and activation of the immune system in the artery wall. This causes the deposition of lipids in the artery wall, followed by the development of fibrous atheromatous plaques. These plaques result in stiffening, stenosis and plaque rupture. Stiffening of the artery walls leads to hypertension or raised blood pressure and extra strain on the heart as it tries to pump blood against extra resistance in the arterial system. Stenosis leads to reduced blood flow, for example in angina, where there's reduced flow of blood through the coronary arteries due to stenosis or narrowing of those arteries. And plaque rupture can create a thrombus that breaks away, travels through the blood vessel and blocks a distant vessel, leading to ischemia because there's no blood flow beyond that thrombus. An example of this is acute coronary syndrome where a coronary artery becomes blocked. Let's talk about the risk factors for cardiovascular disease. It's important to separate the risk factors for cardiovascular disease into modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors. There's nothing we can do about the non-modifiable risk factors but there is something we can do about the modifiable ones. The non-modifiable risk factors are older age, a family history and being male. Modifiable risk factors include raised cholesterol, smoking, alcohol consumption, a poor diet, lack of exercise, obesity, poor sleep and stress. Next let's talk about the medical comorbidities that can increase the risk of atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease and these should be carefully managed to reduce the risk. These comorbidities include diabetes, hypertension or high blood pressure, chronic kidney disease, inflammatory conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis and atypical antipsychotic medications. A Tom tip for you Consider risk factors when you're taking a history from someone with suspected atherosclerotic disease, such as someone presenting with chest pain. Ask about their exercise, diet, past medical history, family history, occupation, smoking, alcohol intake and medications. This will help you perform well in exams and when presenting to seniors, as it shows you've considered the individual risk factors 
for atherosclerotic or cardiovascular disease in that patient to decide how likely it is that they've got that condition. Next, let's go through the end results of atherosclerosis. These end results are angina, a myocardial infarction, transient ischemic attacks, strokes, peripheral arterial disease, and chronic mesenteric ischemia, where there's limited blood flow to the gut. Next, let's talk about the prevention of cardiovascular disease. Prevention of cardiovascular disease falls into two main categories. Primary prevention for patients that have never had a diagnosis of cardiovascular disease and secondary prevention after a diagnosis of angina, a myocardial infarction, TIA, stroke or peripheral arterial disease. We need to start by optimising the modifiable risk factors both for primary and secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease, it's essential to optimise the modifiable risk factors, including addressing diet, exercise and obesity, stopping smoking, reducing alcohol consumption and optimising the treatment of comorbidities, such as diabetes. Next, let's talk about diet and exercise. The NICE guidelines on cardiovascular disease, updated in February 2023, recommend the following dietary changes. A total fat intake of less than 30% of total calories, primarily from monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. Saturated fat intake of less than 7% of total calories. Reduced sugar intake. Whole grain options where available at least five a day of fruit and vegetables, at least two a week of fish, at least one being oily fish, and at least four a week of legumes, seeds and nuts. The NICE guidelines recommendations on exercise, which will be limited by the patient's comorbidities, are for aerobic exercise for a total of at least 150 minutes at moderate intensity or 75 minutes at vigorous intensity per week, and strength training activities on at least two days per week. Let's talk about the primary prevention of cardiovascular disease. Medication for primary prevention is based on the Q-Risk-3 score. The Q-Risk score estimates the percentage risk that a patient will have a stroke or myocardial infarction in the next 10 years. The NICE guidelines updated in February 2023 recommend that when the result is above 10%, they should be offered a statin, initially a torvastatin 20mg at night. Atorvastatin 20mg is offered as primary prevention to all patients who have chronic kidney disease with an EGFR of less than 60 or type 1 diabetes for more than 10 years or over the age of 40. There are draft NICE guidelines due for publication in mid-2023 that advise that atorvastatin 20mg can be considered for primary prevention in patients with a Q-risk score below 10%. This would mean a lot more patients would be eligible for statins for primary prevention. So let's talk in more detail about statins. 
Statins reduce cholesterol production in the liver by inhibiting HMG-CoA reductase. NICE recommend checking the lipid profile three months after starting statins and increasing the dose to aim for a greater than 40% reduction in the non-HDL cholesterol. It's important to check adherence to check that they're taking their medications before increasing the dose. NICE also recommend checking the liver function tests within three months of starting a statin and again at 12 months. Statins can cause a transient and mild rise in the ALT and AST levels in the first few weeks of use. They usually do not need to be stopped if the rise is less than three times the upper limit of normal. Rare and significant side effects of statins include myopathy, causing muscle weakness and pain, rhabdomyolysis, which is muscle damage, and you can check the creatine kinase blood test in patients with muscle pain to look for rhabdomyolysis, type 2 diabetes, and very rarely they can be linked with hemorrhagic strokes. Usually the benefits of statins far outweigh the risks, and the newer statins, such as atorvastatin, are very well tolerated. A Tom tip for you, several common medications will interact with statins. One key interaction to remember is with macrolide antibiotics. Therefore, patients prescribed clarithromycin or erythromycin should be advised to stop taking their statin whilst they're taking these antibiotics. Let's talk about some of the other cholesterol-lowering drugs. Azetamib works by inhibiting the absorption of cholesterol in the intestine. It can be used as an alternative when statins are not tolerated or in combination with a statin where statins alone are inadequate. PCSK9 inhibitors, for example evolocumab and alirocumab, are monoclonal antibodies that lower cholesterol. They're highly specialist treatments given as a subcutaneous injection every two to four weeks. Next, let's talk about secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease. Secondary prevention after developing cardiovascular disease depends on the specific condition. You can remember the medications for secondary prevention with the four A's mnemonic. Antiplatelet medications, for example, aspirin, clopidogrel and ticagrelor. Atorvastatin 80 mg. Atenolol or an alternative beta blocker, commonly bisoprolol, titrated to the maximum tolerated dose, and an ACE inhibitor, commonly ramipril, titrated up to the maximum tolerated dose. After a myocardial infarction, patients are offered dual antiplatelet treatment initially, with aspirin 75mg daily, usually continued indefinitely, and clopidogrel or ticagrelor as a second antiplatelet, generally taken for 12 months before stopping and continuing aspirin alone after that. Clopidogrel is the antiplatelet of choice in peripheral arterial disease and following an ischemic stroke. Finally, let's talk about familial hypercholesterolemia. Familial hypercholesterolemia is an autosomal dominant genetic condition causing very high cholesterol levels. 
several genes have the potential to cause the disorder. When it's heterozygous, this means only one copy of the gene is abnormal, and this occurs in about 1 in 250 people. When the condition is homozygous, this means both copies of the gene are abnormal. This very rare condition, the homozygous variant, causes extremely high cholesterol over 13 millimoles per litre and is almost guaranteed to cause early cardiovascular disease. The Simon Broom criteria or the Dutch Lipid Clinic Network criteria are used for making a clinical diagnosis of familial hypercholesterolemia. Three important features to remember are the family history of premature cardiovascular disease, for example a myocardial infarction under 60 in a first degree relative, very high cholesterol levels, for example above 7.5 millimoles per litre in an adult, and tendon xanthomata, which are hard nodules in the tendons containing cholesterol, often around the knuckles on the back of the hand and at the Achilles tendon. Management of familial hypercholesterolemia involves specialist referral for genetic testing and testing of family members, and statins. So thanks for listening to this first episode in the medicine series on cardiovascular disease. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. We've been working on the audio setup, so maybe you've heard an improvement in the audio quality. At least I hope it's not got worse. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback, so if you can leave a rating or a review on whichever podcast app you use, I often check the iTunes podcast app reviews and love to hear your feedback. If you like the podcast, consider becoming a member of the Zero to Finals Patreon account, where you'll have early access to the podcast episodes, early access to the YouTube videos, as well as access to the members area where you'll get access to the digital flashcards and a question bank with multiple choice questions, short answer questions and extended matching questions that you can use to test your knowledge on the information in this podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about stable angina.